This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm. This podcast is Shareable. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard, commonly known as the world's most handsome strategist and professional speaker. I'm also a superhero. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single Shareable episode. And that's it. That's the intro. Short and sweet. Let's get to the show. Today, my guest is Kathy Klotz Guest. She's a speaker, a corporate trainer, and an improv comedian. She is the founder of Keeping It Human, Inc. So naturally, she and I have a little bit of friction already out of the gate because I'm all about keeping it superhero. Uh, she helps speakers <laughs> and teams and brands unleash more of their potential with improv and humor-based skills. She has spent 15 years in tech leading marketing communications teams, and she is the author of three books, The Marketing Executive's Bedtime Guide to Better Presentations with Humor, Don't Present, Connect, the Market Executive's Bedtime Guide to Better Content and Storytelling with Humor. Those are uh, her, her two older books. And then her newer book, uh, Stop Boring Me, How to Create Kick-Ass Marketing Content, Products and Ideas Through the Power of Improv. Um, apparently, her kids still finds her funny. And she has three graduate degrees and runs an improv at the Pearl Theater in Silicon Valley. Kathy, welcome to Shareable. Thanks, Jeff. It's awesome to be here to talk with you. Hell to the yeah, you're so subdued at the moment. I can't wait for this. I am. I'm just like, I'm like, I'm like, do I start out in 11? Do I spinal tap this bitch right out of the gate? Or do I just kind of work my way up? I don't know. Usually when I'm making a mixtape, I like to hit it with something strong out of the gate and then take it down a notch and then let it build back up. Track four or five maybe is where I That's start it. to really turn it up again. And then you got a little bit of a wave taking you through to the end of the mixtape. Big I feel thing. like that's true. Like we got, we can start out with like Metallica and then maybe go to air supply later on. Ooh. And when we're all out of love, we can come back to like, you know, like something head banging. Right. Like, yeah. And then somewhere like right in the middle, we'll drop into Africa by Toto. Oh, that song. I know. I see that you even said minute. that song. You, you had me right here. <laughs> You've got me here. Not the Weezer version. <laughs> although it's good. Um, let's talk about improv. In fact, we're going to improv this whole darn episode. Yeah. Yes, and you mean. Yes, and. Um, so I remember having uh, your brother from another improv mother, uh, Mike Ganino, on a while yeah. back. And I was at the time working with a client who was like a particular kind of pain in my side. And he recommended some improvisational techniques and they went over quite well. Uh, start, stop, continue, a couple other things. Um, and actually the agency that I am currently working with for majority of my time, one of our core values is yes, and. Thought you'd mm. appreciate that. So- Talk to me a little bit about what it is that you do on a regular basis before we dip real deep into like improv and how it can help set the context for people outside of the bio of yours that I just uh, uh, presented to people. Tell people who you are, what you do, and what kind of like your, your philosophy is that you're bringing into this world. Yeah, happy to. So I am one of those hybrid animals uh, that you, you meet every now and again. I think we all are to different degrees. It's how we embrace it and yes and it. So I spent 15 years in tech, as you, as you said, um, and I ran, you know, uh, different levels of teams. And then when I left, I was running a very global marketing communications team for a tech company, international. Um, and so for me, uh, there was that. And then like outside of work, um, like six, seven days a week, I was doing improv. Eventually I was teaching it. I was doing stand-up. I started in stand-up and sketch. And so like for me, I was trying to bring comedy concepts into the work world, but I almost like had these parallel tracks. So 
I left to start my own company to bring these worlds together because my philosophy has always been that, you know, we always say we want more human potential and we, you know, we want to improve human performance. And that starts with creating, you know, safety nets and psychological safety and empowering people to say yes and and hearing each other's ideas. And if we want that kind of stuff, like we say we do, then let's start putting some structure around that and start giving people some tools so we can be better. We can come up with better ideas. We can listen more. We can be less afraid of what people think of judgment and failure, but we're not gonna get there unless we start really modeling it and shaping it and bringing some of that into work. And that was really my philosophy for starting my own company. I just really thought for me to do this the way that I envision, I need to go off and create this view of the world. So that's basically what I did. So I thoroughly dig it. And I see so many applications for, you know, if you're giving presentations, I think doing mm-hmm. stand-up has got to be like really great training for you. Yeah. And I think all of the things that are included in the practice of improv in being open and being a good listener and not shutting down ideas, all that's great for brainstorming. It's great for team collaboration. There's so many good reasons for it. And I think when you look at stand-up and improv, people immediately hear in their head, funny. Okay, funny. Funny is not professional. We don't allow that here. Why is it that one, people think that funny is unprofessional and, and how do you go about kind of getting past that initial barrier to bring the really amazing lessons that are in, involved in stand-up and improv into the business world so that they can be accepted, applied, and actually generate the results that people are actually looking for? Right. So then you probably know from your conversation with Mike, and isn't it ironic because Mike is pinging me right now. That's Mike. <laughs> he's jealous that he's not on here. <laughs> he's like, you're channeling me. Um, so I, here, here's the thing. Then, then you probably have maybe talked a little bit about definitions. And so let's blow up this definition that, that improv and humor equals funny. Mm-hmm. I'm going to blow that definition up right now. Okay. I'm just going to blow that out because it's more than that. You know, it's connecting, it's listening, it's bringing levity and playfulness to the situation. And it might not be funny. Funny to me is an outcome. Like if I'm doing stand-up, then yes, I am trying to make you laugh, right? I mean, like, you know, just we're all celebrating because like they unblocked like the Suez Canal yesterday. So, you know, it's like we're no longer yacht blocked. Right. The Suez Canal, like that's me trying to get my jeans on after a pandemic. And I'm like, I am with you, Suez Canal. We are, we are sisters. I get this. Now that's me. That's saying, all right, I have a specific objective and I am trying to make you laugh. The thing, Jeff, we have to remember with humor is humor is more than that. That's playfulness. That's possibility. It's about laughter, but it's not necessarily jokes. It's not, I think, I think that is a very limited definition of humor. And what I believe is that we're all able to laugh, we're all able to find playfulness and levity for ourselves with our own sense of humor. And it might not be jokes. Jokes may not be your thing. Now, jokes are my thing. So is a lot of other things, wordplay, levity, playfulness. A lot of those things are my things. And everyone can find what's right for them. And that's important to, first of all, restructure the definition because now we've created a more expansive view. And it's not about being funny first. Here's the thing, if I'm trying to give a presentation or communicate a really important idea, funny doesn't matter. That's secondary. What matters primarily is that I'm clear in my message. You and I are connecting and I have a really solid message to share. Now, if I do a good job on that, then I can go back and I can pepper humor in 
to underscore my point. But if I'm funny at the expense of a, of a solid message, then I've failed. Then I've failed. Because I'm, you know what I mean? And so I think we have to really look at it and, and say, all right, funny is great, but that's icing on the cake if you're trying to communicate in a, in a corporate setting a really important point. That's icing on the cake, but let's build the cake. Let's build a great cake. And then let's put on some crazy ass, delicious icing, but let's get that cake made first. So you work with all different types of people. Your background sounds like you're, you're not working with like mom and pop shops. Like you're working with large businesses that are probably very successful and you're dealing with it. I have a picture in my head of like the CEO and the C-suite of these type of companies. And they are not particularly in my mind. And I could be wrong in generalizing. They don't seem very playful. They don't seem like they're there to bring uh, levity and fun. They want results and they want you to like get your shit done and like get to it. Right. So, you know, kind of the 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 first thing i'm trying to figure out is like how do you what are some of the things that have come up for you in dealing with these people like because so like for instance you would work with me i'm all in right like i'd be like yeah improv i get it i'm into it teach me more help me use these tools effectively i'm like i'm a believer Mm -hmm. but i'd imagine a lot of the people that are bringing you in maybe the person that brings you in is a believer, but maybe the people that they're asking you to work with are not believers. So how do you get them to even adopt the idea that levity and playfulness is acceptable in a business environment? That's such a, it's such a cultural thing that we have at work, that work is supposed to be work. It's not supposed to be fun. It's like labor. How do you sell the idea that these things are actually important? So I actually don't. I don't. Bold move. Yeah, if, 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 a, if a company comes to me and they're like, sell me on it, I'm like, nope, <laughs> keep walking, buddy. Um, and here's the thing is that, you know, I'm not, um, what I do, like, like sex and what I do, neither is like ideal in a missionary position. All right, so that is not my job to convince you. And I say that um, to make a po- make a big, bold point. I am not for the company that just expects me to come in and you know, have to prove the point. And, and I think that's a really important thing because there, there are barriers and you're right. It starts at the top. And if the top, if the executive staff and the suite, the C-suite says, well, we subscribe to this old world view of what professional is and it's very limited, I probably cannot help you because you're not going to understand and support environmental change necessary for improv to work there. Got you it. have to be sold on yes and. If I've got to crowbar it in, you're not, it's not for you. So when I do work with companies, um, I do, who do care, who actually do care, part of the switch that they have to really kind of flip is in their own heads, they have to go, you know what, this is important because we understand that being professional also means being brave, speaking up, taking risks. And our job is to make people feel safe to do that. I can't ask my people to jump through creative hoops if I don't have their backs. And improv is about creating safety nets for your people. This is really important. And if a company wants me to come in and just do some fun activities, but they're not willing to do the hard structural change work, I really can't help you because all we're doing is just a fun little, you know, down, I'm down to clown. That's all we're doing. You're just, you know, and that's fun, that's right. but you're not going to get that lasting sustainable change. And what I care about is that when I leave and I come back maybe a couple times a year that you have made some structural changes that you've yes-handed your people, 
You've made it safe for them to explore and fail and try new ideas. All the things that companies say they want, Jeff, they say they want. And here's the proof. Are you willing to do it? And if you're willing to make those changes, yeah, let's work together. And if not, it's just, it's very difficult to, you know, push that rock uphill. And uh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I 100% hear you on that. And um, it, you immediately made me think of like the many applications of improv. And when you got to the idea of safety, yeah. it really makes me think that like so much of the work that's being done out there in DEI right now and creating safe workplaces for safe and inclusive workplaces mm has to almost be a prerequisite for someone to actually bring you in and get the value out of it. Because yeah. otherwise, again, it's like, they're just bringing you in, like dance for me, clown, like give me a show and like do some fun exercises and that'll solve our cultural problems. And then we'll just move forward. So it would seem to me that the, the kind of the prerequisites for a company to even be, to be able to get value out of this, they first have to have an environment that is already to a certain extent safe. You can obviously like, it doesn't have to be perfect, but like, you at least have to have a place where somebody can feel safe speaking up. And being well, they have to value it. So I, I think you're right. I would say it helps that they have some degree of safety. They might not be at a like an 11, yeah. a spinal tap 11. Out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> but they're on their way. And, and you're right. And I think they have to care. You're 100% right. And it's funny because, well, you know me. Like I live my values out loud and I can't help it. I spent 15 years running teams. So I've seen the damage that this stuff does up close and personal. I lived it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a woman who survived tech. <laughs> yeah. You know what men love? They love reporting to a woman boss. They just love it. They oh, love yeah. it Not so written. much. Yeah, it's great. Um, so it, I've been there. I've been there. I've seen the damage. So I'm very passionate about it. So much so that I think you're right, Jeff. You, you, you hit it on the head. It's like, but it's, it's very much intersectional with DEI. People ask me a lot, like why DEI work resonates with me because it's very similar. Like we all say we want the best ideas from our employees and 60% of all employees, according to SHRM studies, Jeff, hold out their best ideas. They hold back. Why do they do that? Because they don't feel safe. So the intersectionality really comes in is that, look, just like DEI, if you've got a team that doesn't feel safe, doesn't feel supported, doesn't feel seen, if you're if you're black team members and your women and your gay team members do not feel supported, they will not give you their best. And this is incredibly foundational for creative work. If you want people's whole selves and you want their best ideas, you've got to make it safer. So to that end, you know, you have to look at all these things and you don't have to have all the safety nets because a lot of times what happens, Jeff, is that they don't know how to build those safety nets. They know they matter. So I, I can work with the teams that go, okay, we're not 100% there, Jeff, but we know, Kathy, that it matters. Can you help us get there? And they have to care and they have to be dedicated to that. Yeah. No, that makes complete sense. The, um, you brought it, you said a word creative or, or creativity and creative work. And it made me yeah. start thinking about the different applications of where you can bring improv into the work. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I think people naturally will go and start thinking about marketing. They'll start thinking yeah. about, um, you know, cultural work. They may even be able to like make that mental leap and think, mm -hmm. oh, well, this is a good way for team building and getting people. Yeah. But um, what about people that are in accounting and finance and where like creativity is typically not something that is being looked for, um, yeah. you know, can you paint the picture of where improv as a, as a skill set can be applied in a company? I'm sure there's sort of like your, your, your top three, right? Like you typically work in this, that, and that, mm -hmm. but is it applicable across the board 
And what sort of things are you typically trying to achieve when you're working with someone and bringing improv into that space outside, you know, the levity, the playfulness, but like in terms of the tangible things that, you know, mm -hmm. a business owner might be saying, I want to bring you in for X. What does that look like? So levity and playfulness are just conduits to get to creativity and big ideas and stories and better communication. So the real business benefits is what you're asking. It's like, okay, where does it matter? Um, it matters with not just marketing. It matters with um, employees, you know, burnout, resilience, communication, team communication. We have a dysfunctional team, usually cultures involved and communications involved. Improv can help out so much. Uh, trust work, helping people learn a language and a mechanism for trust, for improving trust. So it solves a lot of very real, serious business problems. And yes, here's the thing. Anyone can benefit from improv. I'm going to say it again. Anyone can benefit from improv. Not just because, you know, that's what I do. <laughs> but here's the thing. Yes, Bob and accounting too. And I'll, I'll tell you why, because improv is not a business skill. It's a life skill. It's a life skill. I mean, how many times have you, um, you know, you've been in a meeting and even if it's, you're an accountant, you're in a staff meeting and you're proposing an idea and somebody is yes, butting you or they're shutting you down and you can't get an idea in because no matter how hard you try, somebody is yes, butting you. And by teaching the language of yes and doesn't mean you have to do the idea. doesn't mean you have to like go, gee, Bob, all of a sudden you're brilliant because I have to yes and you, even though I think yes and it's a crappy idea. It's not what we're talking about. But when we give people language for, okay, yes and I hear what you're saying, maybe we can, start, we can come back to that idea. We don't have enough time now, but you can actually use it in a practical way, not to you know, talk down to people or patronize people or become a yes and bot, but to change relationships. Anyone can improve their relationships in life their personal relationships, their business relationships, they're listening just by understanding how to yes and to communicate. And when I can't do something, how to be direct and also preserve the dignity of the other person, right? Jeff, I, I hear what you're saying. Yes and that's, those are really great ideas. We have time for one of those. So here's what we're gonna do. Let's work on the one that's most viable. And we're gonna take those other two that you just gave us and we're gonna come back to them next month. It's saying, I hear you, keep, coming up with ideas and you're reinforcing that behavior just simply because I heard you and I acknowledged you. And I don't care where you are in the organization. Most people don't know how to listen. Yes. And have dignity, how to disagree and mitigate conflict. These are practical life skills. So have I worked with accountants? Yes. I've worked with engineers. I've worked with product people. I've worked with UX designers. I've worked with engineers, like a whole team of engineers. I've worked with technical people. I've worked with developers. I've worked with executives. And all over the organization, Jeff, is a chance to, to embrace better skills and to learn how to, how to see other people. And even if that's all you do, you know, it can still be playful and fun and make a difference in the way that you're connecting with your team members. I hope everyone that's listening kind of like picked up on this thing here that if you get everybody in the organization to be thinking with this spirit of openness and listening and and primarily the thing that sticks out to me is the validation it's it's mm -hmm. the not shutting people down it's not saying I, I agree. It's saying I validate that that is a true thing. Yes. But when you create an environment for that, I think one of the things that it does, if, if you can piece together in your head, you create an environment where people can speak up. And I think one of the nice yes. things that that does is it gets people out of this label of you are your function, right? Like Bob from accounting 
actually may be a super creative dude. He just is good at accounting. So like, if you don't create the opportunity for someone like Bob in accounting to be able to speak up and say, Hey, this might be something, you know, we should look into. And you don't create that opportunity for that idea to be brought in and for somebody else to say, you know what, that is a good idea. Maybe they felt scared to, to speak up about it. Now, all of a sudden you're actually getting the collaborative mind that, that again, all companies say that they want. So it makes perfect sense the way that you, you tie that together. I hope everyone picked up on that and, and sees that um, because I think that the problem is linear thinking, right? This is this yeah. improv comes up in contact with immediately, right? Is that when you think linearly improv is terrifying because it's super nonlinear and it can go kind of anywhere. And there's, you know, the, the idea of it is to allow things to flourish creatively rather than sequentially yeah. necessarily. Yeah. It's so true. I love the way you explain that, Jeff. It's like, Oh my God, you should have a podcast. You'd be really good at that. <laughs> no, I, I love it because that's exactly what it is. I think people have a fear because I think in the past, well-intended theater people, and I'm both, I'm theater, but I'm also business. I have an MBA. I'm an, I mean, I am, I'm both. So I yeah. speak the language of business. I also speak the language of theater and I teach. Oh, we're going to go down that rabbit hole next is the language of business. Yes. And, and yeah. I think what happens is we, you know, sometimes theater people get so excited and we make it about performance. It's not about theatricality. I'm going to say it again for people in the back. Improv scares people because I think I think the way it's been explained maybe hasn't been clear. And we scare people off un, unnecessarily, needlessly, because we make it about theatricality. It's not. This is not about you performing and be, oh yeah, it's not it. This is about you having real language skills to be able to open people up connect better, create relationships, get more creativity out of your people by, by listening to them. And like you pointed out so well, Jeff, it's validation. I may not be able to do all the ideas that Bob comes up with, but we're all better off for listening to what Bob has to say instead of shutting Bob down. Okay, Bob, we don't have time for that. Yes, but yes, but which is what we all do. And we don't mean to, but what we don't understand is that over time, the cumulative effect at scale in companies of yes, but is we are dismissive, we are shutting people down, we are not getting their best ideas. And Sherm, like I say, found that 60% of people are holding out because they don't, they feel shut down, they don't feel safe, they feel judged. Uh, they're not gonna give you their best idea. So basically, how sad is that? That you're not getting the best ideas, even sometimes from your best people. And that's a really sad thing. It is absolutely horrible. And I, I love that your company is called Keeping It Human mm -hmm. because I think what you're illuminating is that, um, again, back to the point of like, you're not just your function, right? Like if you think about someone who brings their ideas and gets shut down, when they go back, Bob, to accounting and he's looking at spreadsheets, how engaged does he feel at work because of all of this? How connected does he feel to the work yeah. that's being done? Um, so I, I just think that there's so much there. One of the things that I thought of as you were saying improv is I think that actually might be the issue is the association we have with improv, forgetting yeah. that improv is short for improvisation. Yeah. Most of what I do on a regular basis is improvisation. Like this podcast is curiosity meets improvisation. I'm showing up and I'm like super interesting person in front of me. They do yeah. a thing. I want to know all about it. I don't know where it's going to go, but like they tell me a thing. I want to run with it. Let's go. Yes. And all day long shutting it down, all of a sudden you get those weird silences in the podcast. You're like, oh, well, uh, sorry. Um, and that's stupid, right? And like strategy. Strategy is improvisation. Yeah. You know where you're going to go, you know the destination, but you don't necessarily know how you're going to get there. So you have to kind of figure out stuff 
along the way. So uh, yeah. yeah, I'm super into it. I want to talk about the language of business because yes. uh, I, I meant to bring this up earlier and I just got lost in your stories and the enjoyment of the conversation we were having. But um, you do something that a friend of mine does, uh, by the way, uh, a friend of mine named Grant Kroll, who's on my show. And he, yes. does, you know, Grant? I so, know Grant. So all of his, like you have Yacht Blocked and Jargon Monoxide. And I'm like, oh my God, you and Grant would be like BFFs because this is like what he does. He like makes up words all the time. Yeah. And all the stuff. Anyway, yeah. besides. Primitive people. I, yes. I, I, yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Language of business. So I, uh, I was a, a creative. Uh, I, I tried all throughout my life prior to my MBA. I was like, I want to be a pro basketball player. I want to be a professional chef. I want to be a photographer. I want to be a videographer, famous filmmaker. Like I had all these things where I was like, just creative, need to do the thing. Went to my MBA and immediately felt like such an outcast. Like first two, first half of the whole program, I was like, I am nobody. I have nothing to offer. This is horrible. I did walk out of my MBA with three lessons because I learned them along the way. The first is that money is a language of business. So I learned that if you just want to talk about business then you need to communicate things in terms of dollars and cents, profit and loss, uh, you know, revenue and expenses, et cetera. So that was the first thing. Second thing was that economics is important. Money and time are the two most scarce resources we have in business. So super important to frame things in terms of that. Third thing is that everyone has a role. And I learned this in the second half when it came time to give a presentation and all the people that were helping me with accounting homework, all of a sudden, Stark White were like talking in front of a room of people. And I was like, really? <laughs> this is the thing. This is the thing that's going to, okay. So I, for a long time in my career, felt very much like a fish out of water because yeah. here I am. I'm like, I just like, I love people and I want everyone to enjoy what they do. And I want to enjoy what I do. And I want to do work that matters. And like, I want to do creative stuff. And they're like, great get to work. We need to make money that this, that, 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 that the business, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Hated it. You're an improv. You came from a background of, of business. You've got an MBA. You've, you've, you've kind of played, you're, you're like Batman and Bruce Wayne at the same time. Like you, you have these two different ways of being, and you found a way to merge them in business. How are you translating these two worlds together? How are you bringing together the business background to be able to talk about improv and any of the other things that you bring to the table? How are you being both Batman and Bruce Wayne? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I need, I need, first of all, I need note to self. I got to get myself a cool like tool belt. <laughs> that's what I got to get. Plus millions of dollars. I mean, that's the superpower. Well, um, I, you know, I think that's a great question because I think for me, um, I always felt like, wow, these skills are so valuable over here and these people are scared of it. And these people don't know, the theater people don't know how to talk business and business people are scared unnecessarily of things over here. So how do I, I've spent a lot of my life translating those things. And I think it comes down to this, you know, um, business is human performance. We're always looking for ways to be better communicators, to get close to the dollar, to whether it's sales or whether it's marketing teams, or or we need to be more efficient. We need to be better. We need to um, spend less time and energy on the wrong things. Well, improv and improvisation offers us a way to show up, to support each other. It's radically innovative. I mean, tell me a better culture than an improv team. I defy you. That's culture. 
And if you think about the culture that exists in improv team, we're able to do that crazy stuff because everybody radically yes ands. So this is not an exercise in like theater. This is an exercise real time in culture and in rapid prototyping and agile culture. And I was like, I know that language. I recognize that language. I'm gonna put it in these business terms because what it ends up helping people do is better communication with teams, better communication with customers, um, more trust, improved performance, all the things that we over here desperately need. We just need to find a language to make these people understand it. And one of the things that I started really years ago, and I know I'm not the first to say this, I think there's a recognition among people like myself who span both worlds is that, and you said it earlier, Jeff, so well, look, everyone's an improviser. You're an improviser. Bob's an improviser in accounting, right? Nancy over in, you know, I don't know, communication is an improviser. We may not self-identify, we might, we might not call ourselves that, but every day you have to pivot, you have to make changes, you have to adapt. Something gets thrown your way, all of a sudden a new client project or your boss puts you on another project or a project goes away or whatever. And in that moment, you're like, okay, I have to yes and the change right in front of me, I'm gonna have to adapt. We just don't call ourselves that. But when I, when I talk to people and go, look, you're already improvising because you're a human being and that's kind of the job of a human being, they seem to get that. And so I think teaching people that improv is the language of adaptation so that you can move forward, then they're like, I get it, I get that. And it's just a way of kind of spanning that. And I think the, the blessing and the, and, the, and the hard part was learning how to, how to create that language. You're right. Because I think if more people, my, my goal is to scare people less with that language and to really, to, tr to translate it in ways that businesses go, yeah, I need that. I can use that. And sometimes improv, people think comedy and it really is improvisation. And there's a big debate in the industry. I won't bore you with, but people who practice improvisation are always debating nerdy, nerdy shit. Like we shouldn't call it improv. That's comedy. Oh my God, we should call it improvisation. That's long form. That's the language of business. And we're all having these conversations because we even recognize among ourselves that the way that we frame it can either yeah, advance it or, or hurt it. And so I really want people to understand that improvisation is fundamentally about the language of, of, of human speak. It's business. It's advancing all the good stuff we want. I love it. I love the way you said uh, before, and I think I'm going to probably make this at least in some way incorporate into a title of this episode, but improv is the language of adaptation. I think that that is such a profoundly interesting way to think about it and, and to make it real in both contexts, in both mm -hmm. the, the Batman and the Bruce Wayne context, but like in, in, the com in the comic improvisation and in the business improvisation, the language of adaptation. It's how we're able to move through scenes of our lives or scenes in business or scenes in, a, in an actual stand-up show. So I really yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. People, when they hear improv, and this is the point I kind of want to wrap on a little bit. Um, when people think of improv, the first thing that comes to mind is yes and, right? Like that's mm -hmm. the thing that if you have any experience in improv or if yeah. you've spoken with someone in improv, you typically think yes and. So that's a, a very well-known sort of um, mm -hmm. uh, like uh, artifact that, that kind of connects to the world of improv. Yeah. For people who are unfamiliar with 
the extent to which improv goes beyond yes and. Can you talk a little bit about what some people may not know about improv that goes beyond that, that, you know, is built upon the spirit of yes and, but maybe techniques that they can bring in, things that they can think about, um, things that may come up in their life that they want to be watchful for, where they can use improvisation and, and what to do. Take us beyond yes and. Right. So the, the central tenet, if you will, the, the, the book of yes and is the center point of our faith. <laughs> oh, yes and. Um, and minus the halo. But you're right. And so here, here's, the, here's some of the other, um, I think, um, cornerstone concepts. Um, one of the foundational concepts is that um, uh, we, we celebrate mistakes. There, there, we, as, because here's the thing, celebrate mistakes. You know, there, there's a difference between a mistake that's like costing a company millions of dollars, but the average person isn't making those kinds of mistakes. And we're so hard on ourselves. And in improv, we teach that, you know, hey, little mistakes are okay. They're gifts. We call them gifts. Because in an improv show, and this will always happen, you talk to any improviser, somebody will get a name wrong or a location wrong after it's already been established. But that just provides comedy for the audience. So like if I'm Marie and all of a sudden somebody, you know, halfway calls me John, I'm like, you know, I don't like it when you use my middle name, Marie John. I'm very sensitive about that. Now I'm yes anding that mistake. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make it right. So little mistakes can be gifts. It means you're trying, you're exploring, and that's a good thing. The next tenet is make your partner look good. Make your partner look good. Now, and this happens all the time, somebody will get something wrong because listening is really important in improv to be able to yes and. But those moments where somebody makes a mistake, I'm not gonna be like, hey, stop the scene. You got my name wrong. You know what we do? We yes and. So somebody comes in and goes, hey, John. I'm like, you know, my middle name is John. I'm very sensitive. So just please call me Marie. We've talked about this before, you know, Bob Ann. Right. I mean, and so I'm not going to make that person wrong. I'm going to make them right and find a way to incorporate that into what I'm building. So make your partner look good. Make them look good. And listening. Oh, my God. Radical listening. Listening, listen, listen, listen. Um, this is very hard for people. Um, practice listening skills. I want you to, the next time somebody is talking to you and telling you something, this is very hard to do. Clear your mind. This is very hard to do because you're probably thinking, okay, Bob, okay, hurry up because I want to say what I'm going to say, yada, yada, lunchtime, ooh, barbecue, ooh. Um, you're thinking about whatever. And you're missing something that Bob is probably saying. And here's the thing about yes and. If you listen, Bob may say 10 things that are full of crap. <laughs> But maybe there's two things or even one that Bob says that has the germ viability. If we do our job of listening, Jeff, we can find the one golden nugget and go, you know what, Bob, that's a great idea. And then we're back to making our partner look good and accepting gifts that as mis mistakes are, are okay, they're gifts. And what if we could look at the world with all these different things? It allows us to radically yes and. So I think the beauty about yes and is not only is it the language of an adaptation, Jeff, I, I would submit, submit to you that it's a, it's a growth mindset. And what, that's really what we're talking about here. I, I love 
like literally everything you said, and I have to just jump on a couple of things. First of all, I, I think you and I both owe an enormous apology to all Bob's in account. I know. We Bob's have, my virtue name. I, I, it's okay, but poor Bob listening to this. Sorry, Bob. Um, Bob and Nancy. It is true. And I'm sorry, Bob and Nancy, but every time I'm on a stage, I like my go-to like male name is, and I'm sorry. And Nancy's my feet. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. I guess because they're non-offensive. Right. Like yes. there's there you can't step in any hornet's nest with Bob and Nancy. Except with Bob. Or yeah. Nancy. Sorry, Bob. So I, I was uh one, I just I love the um the kind of um the call for radical listening, right? Like the, the carrying the flag for it because as someone who has attention issues in general, I found one of the most extraordinary ways I've been able to overcome my attention issues and also to form deeper connections with people is to work exceptionally hard on my listening skills. And I credit the podcast as one of the most important things that I've done to be able to develop that skill because I can't be a good podcast host if I just tune out as you're saying something. I'm like, oh, okay, uh, next question. Like, that's not a good show. And I don't get to form a relationship with my guests that way. So I'm, I'm super into you talking about that. Um, I wrote a book on leadership and I'm, I'm so many of the things that you just brought up in improvisation are actually things that I encourage people in the role of leader uh, to think about, such as celebrating mistakes and making your partner look good. I have a premise in my book uh, that's coming out in January uh, called sitting on the same side of the table and sitting on the same side of the table is this idea like, you know, if you're sitting across from one another, you're, you're facing in opposite directions. Whereas if you're sitting on the same side of the table, you're looking in the same direction, you have the same goals. And because you're going in the same direction and you're sitting on the same side of the table, you want to help each other look good, feel good and uh, move towards the same direction. And so much of that is, is embedded in what you were just saying about mm-hmm. improvisation. And I, um, the celebrate mistakes things is a really big one because it, it's kind of the, the other side of the validation. It's not just validating people, but it's also validating them in spite of mistakes, right? Yeah. There's a story about these clowns that um, a colleague of mine was telling me about that like whenever they made a mistake, they would do some sort of like a special thing to like celebrate. Do you know this story? I've heard it and I love it. I love the story. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I, I absolutely love all of that. Uh, I, I want to just say in closing, I, I wish that all clients that I ever had to work with in my entire life took improv classes because I, I see so much of the value clearly when we talk about uh, for ourselves. I yes. see it so much when we look at teams and the teams that we work on and how it can be beneficial. And when you start talking about how it helps in working with clients, I immediately began thinking, and wouldn't it be cool if they also, the client also, so when you as a, an agency or you as a vendor make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. It's an opportunity to yes. And let's figure out how to fix it. And then it, you know, it enriches that relationship and it makes you want to work all that much harder. So Mm -hmm. I just, I appreciate what you're doing out there in the world. I appreciate that you're going out there like, making sure people can yes and their way through life. Um, Any closing comments, anything I didn't ask you that you think people really need to know about improv before uh, I let you promote the hell out of yourself and everything you're doing? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I would say in closing, here's something that I I do. I've given this talk now a number of times because I think it's really important. You know, we're taught in improv and it's true. It's very important to yes and. It's to play the scene you're in and whatever life hands you. Look, life handed us COVID. We didn't get a choice. I mean, we could deny it all we want. You had to step up and pivot and adapt. But I think one of the things we don't do enough of is yes and ourselves. And it starts with yes anding ourselves. I think 
the damage that we do because maybe in corporate you were told, you know, your ideas weren't welcome. There's a whole lot of people who hold back. And I really think that, yes, we need to yes and other people, but I think it starts by giving yourself the benefit of the doubt too. Don't forget to yes and yourself. I think that is where it starts. So I have a little sign, yes and you. Yes and you, yes and you, it starts there. It starts there and it ripples out and you can't give to other people what you don't give to yourself. So I really want people to really be good to yourself. Yes and the heck out of yourself. And you know, how many times have you not given an idea and then somebody else had the same idea and you're like, oh man, I just didn't feel like I could. So give yourself that permission. I think that's really important. I love that you added that as a closing point because uh, for me personally, I do not typically yes and myself. I mean, like, I think I'm awesome. Don't get me wrong. Like, I don't <laughs> super awesome. But I'm also incredibly hard on myself and I push myself and I'm constantly looking at everything I did and, and applying like a 50% discount on whether or not it was actually impactful or, or awesome. And, um, and, and still, in spite of all of that, I still think I'm awesome. But I think the, the adding the yes and to it and giving yourself to the space to not beat yourself up and to celebrate mistakes is like just for my personality type and the way I am, it's such a, it's such a useful reminder to the celebrate mistakes thing is the one that I will walk away from this episode with as like a, maybe I can do that. It's not necessarily a sign of weakness or, no. or uh, whatever to, to have made a mistake and to celebrate it. So I really appreciate that. Kathy, you are such a kick-ass guest and I could talk to you for hours upon hours upon hours. Uh, but let me give you a chance to uh, tell people where they can go and be social with you, where they can connect with you, where they can learn more about you, hire you, shower you with praise and acc- uh, accolades. Um, and, and just before, uh, please do not reply to one of Kathy's posts anywhere with a well, actually. You can reply with a yes and, but if you reply with a well, actually, I assure you it will not go well for you. <laughs> I will tease you in the spirit of, of, of learning. I hope, you know, it's never intentional to be mean. I think Will actually is just, uh, you're right. Will actually is used so often with women yeah. to talk down to women that I want to celebrate people. And so let's not Will actually, let's see us and each other. I yeah. think that, I think so, yeah. Um, but I would love for you to reach out and talk to me. I love connecting. So you can reach out on LinkedIn. Um, I am on most of the socials at Kathy Clotes guest, no hyphen. And reach out to me at keepingithuman.com. That's where you can find out more about me. And uh, if you've got a creative challenge, a communication challenge with your team, um, or your leadership. I mean, that's really what I do. And we can find a way to make that work. So yeah, reach out. Awesome. And I will put that all in the notes. Uh, yes. And I definitely was uh, calling you Kathy Klotz intentionally so that you could correct it at the end. So anybody. <laughs> did see it. But I yes uh, added you. I'm not going to see. I'm not going to. No, you nailed it. I'm, I'm never going to make someone feel bad because they got a name wrong. Right. That's not, that's, that's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was fantastic. Thank you for yes ending that. Well, yeah. for all of you listening, we appreciate you. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in, giving us your ears. Uh, and I hope that you walk away from this bringing a spirit of yes and to your life. And if you tell someone else about the whole idea of improv and being a yes and, then I guess you're sharing it, which I guess would make this episode shareable. Wait, don't leave. If you've never listened to my fancy outro, do it just once for me, please. Okay, if you enjoy shareable, and you find it valuable, there's a few ways that you can support the show. One, you can share it on social media, which I strongly encourage. I mean, it's literally the name of the show. Shareable. Two, you can review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And if you're an Overcast user, as many of my listeners are, make sure to click that star button on the episodes that you like. The third way that you could support the show is by blogging about it or discussing it on your own podcast or even by making a YouTube video where you talk about one of the episodes. And then the final way that you can support the show is by supporting it directly on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other thing. You see, Shareable is just one of many projects that I'm working on at any given time. I've got another podcast called Rogue. I do a live streaming show every week called The Heroic Council. I've got a blog where I release a blog post twice a week. And if you're looking to keep up with all sorts of different content that can help you grow and become a superhero in life, I want you to check out jeffgibber.me. That's where I list all of my current projects and projects that are coming up in the future, including my forthcoming book, The Lovable Leader. It would mean a lot to me if you could go and check out some of the other things I've worked on because I put just as much of my heart into those projects as I do into Shareable. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for being a supporter. And I hope to see you here on the next episode of Shareable.